4: Hello, my friends. Now, you know from what that nice announcer just said that you are listening to the Main Street Vegan program. But we're going to be going down another roadway as we start this program, and that is Vegan Street. I'm going to be talking with Marla Rose of veganstreet.com. After the break, uh, we'll be bringing on Dr. Michael Greger of How Not to Die. So if you have a health question for Dr. Greger, you can call in 816-347-5519. Just keep your questions short because he doesn't have a whole lot of time and we want to get all his wisdom, but we would obviously love to hear from you and it would make my heart happy to know that you got your question answered. So that number again is 816-347-5519. But right now, we are going to be speaking with, I would say, one of my very favorite Chicagoans, if not one of my very favorite people on earth. And this is award-nominated journalist, author, event planner, activist, and mom. Marla Rose, she's co-founder of Chicago Vegan Mania, the largest free festival of its kind in the region, and co-owner of Vegan Street, a dynamic communications hub for building vegan community and culture. Marla and her husband won Mercy for Animals Activists of the Year Award in 2009. Is that cool. And of course, you know Marla from her advice column in Veg News Magazine. Welcome, Marla.
5: Thank you, Victoria, and thank you for your kind words. I, I have nothing but admiration for you.
4: Oh, bless your heart.
5: Well, you
4: and your husband over there at Vegan Street are going to be having a celebration coming up in April. You are yeah. going to celebrate your 500th meme. Yes. Now, for Anyone who is not of the Internet generation, (laughs) what's a meme?
5: Well, I I do have to quickly say that if anyone feels embarrassed about not knowing how to pronounce that strange word that is spelled M-E-M-E or pronounces it Mimi or whatever, um, it is a fairly novel new word, so don't feel out of the loop or whatever. So a meme is when you – combine, usually it's a combination of images and text to um, tell a story or to promote something or to get the word out about something. And so... We've been creating original memes um through Vegan Street for a couple of years now and April twenty fifth will be our five hundredth meme.
4: Ooh, to- that's so exciting. Yeah. I know, I know. It's and really- you know how I think of it? Because I really didn't know what it was. I mean I knew what you did but I didn't know what it was called. And and the way I would describe it to somebody who's unfamiliar is it's a little online poster. It's just yeah. what I would think of, you know, you'd want to put on a poster that would have the information that speaks to both verbal people and visual people. Yes, yes. And yours is gorgeous, absolutely oh, thank gorgeous. Thank
5: you, thank you. You know, my husband's um, from, um, an you know, big, big advertising background, you know, so when we, you know, when we start, it is really kind of a perfect storm of, you um, there you know i my background is in writing, and so when I would see on social media on this new platform called Facebook, I would see people putting um together memes about um you know around advocacy um with veganism or health or whatever, and a lot of them I felt um had a you know a lot of heart but were poorly um constructed either like they had There there was bad spacing between the letters, or the images were messed up, or there was poor punctuation, or something like that. So I just knew that when we brought Vegan Street back a couple of years ago, that memes were going to be a big part of what we did, because the 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 public doesn't, you know, as you and I know, we're, you know, as writers, it's sad for me to (laughs) acknowledge this, but I think that most of the public really doesn't have time to, or I don't know if it's time or the desire or what to read lengthy um, articles and essays um, as much as they used to. So we have to grab people where we can and how we can. Oh, and and, and
4: yours are so grabby. I think the one that most people are familiar with, even if they didn't know it was called a meme, is your (laughs) one about um, the least, the world's least expensive foods are plants Which is a nice statement, but then you have this beautiful, colorful picture of beans and seeds and greens and onions and oats and pasta and all these foods that oh gosh, they're really not expensive. Yeah,
5: and that's something that as vegans we we those of us who have been vegan for a while we we say this to people all the time. You know, a lot of times the poorest people in the world are default. Vegans, (laughs) Vegans, <laughs> because, you know, the grains and the legumes and the local vegetables and stuff are are oftentimes the most affordable. But to convey that in an image um, is a whole new audience that you can reach, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, it's just, it's interesting after all these memes that that was a recent one. And John and I both kind of remarked that we were surprised we hadn't thought to do one on that to- specific topic before. but. Yeah, there's it's just like endless stuff that you could create materials around. Absolutely.
4: So you talked about Vegan Street coming back. So tell us a little history.
5: Okay, so we started Vegan Street originally. uh, We're one of those early adopter um, uh, people. We had a website in 1998, which sounds like, you know, like, the 1850s or something in today's um, landscape. But we had a website that we started in 1998 called veganstreet.com, which is the same URL as today. Um, But we started it because, you know, a few years prior we had gone vegan and we really – this was really what we wanted to do with our lives was promote veganism. Um, We took – you know we took a sabbatical starting in around two thousand three about a year after my son was born and did other things and then we resurrected it um two years ago to uh er, er, almost three years ago to to um because we, it's it's like vegan street two it's in a whole different um realm, but our heart is really still in many ways in the same place. So how
4: do you see the landscape? And I love that word that you okay. used uh, the, the vegan landscape today, uh, as opposed to 1998.
5: Oh, God. Well, as you know, um, you know, those of us who have been vegan for a long time, sometimes it's like you have to pinch yourself. You're, you're in disbelief at how the culture around us is changing um, from mainstream as, you know, perfect. You are so right on with picking that, that, that word and that verbiage, um, from the mainstream companies adjusting to the vegan market and, and really seeing that there is, uh, you know, validity behind pursuing that market, um, to everyday regular people in small towns knowing how to pronounce the word. (laughs) Um, That's a whole different ballpark from where we were in 1998. Um, But, you know, in many ways, you know, even though meat consumption is down in the United States, uh, other countries, it's rising. So we really, we can't rest on our laurels and just think that we've won this thing, which is sometimes what I, I hear people Kind of try to communicate. I really feel like we've got to keep working. You know, we can't say that we've gotten there because the animals are still in desperate need of our advocacy.
4: Oh, absolutely. I, I saw that movie recently about the uh, miners in, in Chile who were arrested, and I was so nervous until they got the last guy out, even though I knew <laughs> they were going to get them all out. But that's how I feel about the animals. If, if yeah. one animal is, is being tortured by humans, right? we can't rest until that one animal is taken care of. So today's meme, or maybe it was yesterday's, because I know you do every other weekday these right. days, which is very smart for a mom. Yeah. You know, sometimes we do try to overdo, but it's about a, a vegan food company. Like, oh. is it a pack or an advocacy group?
5: Yeah, I mean, it seemed a, all very official. Yeah. It's a collection of um, plant-based Protein companies are unified and they are working to get a place at the table, literally, with um, politicians to advocate for, um, you know, soy milk, for example, to replace the obligatory dairy milk in um, school lunches Um, and basically to to try to ease um, plant proteins in into this pl- playing field that is so not level. Mm, um, it. And so it, it, it really is, it's a huge, uh, there's huge potential with it. Um, mm. Yeah. So we're really, really excited about that. Yeah,
4: that, There's that so is- many
5: amazing people. Like, like I'm sure, as you know, through Main Street Vegan Academy, there's so many passionate and dedicated and creative people with so many different skill sets um, that if we – you know, aren't able to to um, leverage this better. It's going to be our fault because we have the skills and we have the creativity and we have the drive. We just have to, you know, apply it.
4: So true, so true. Well, and you have so much creativity and drive. You're a novelist. Tell tell us the name of your novel. Uh,
5: it's um, it's called um, The Adventures of Vivian Sharp, Vegan Superhero. Love it's it. Your- Yeah, thank you. It's your classic all-American vegan coming-of-age superhero thriller, I call it. (laughs) Love it, love it. And I like, you know, you you, you
4: gave us a female superhero. We can always use those. Now, how about this superheroic thing that you do out there in Chicago? I believe it's every year, isn't it? Chicago Vegan Mania.
5: Yes, and you spoke a couple years ago. We'd like to have you back. I want to come back. We'll talk <laughs> October 1, October 1st this year. Um, yeah. Chicago vegan mania. This is going to be our eighth year. It's so exciting. It's a day long celebration of vegan culture, commerce, community, cuisine, and couture. <laughs> and we wanted, we started it as like a way, like we had some extra money in our old earth save Chicago account and we needed to spend it. So we thought we're going to have a part. We're going to have a, a vegan party. And we put, put stuff out into the community to see, you know, how well it would be received. We had no idea. I anticipated it would be successful, but there was a line wrapping around the building the first year. The first year we outgrew our space. Um, So this is a very positive, very welcoming day where vegans and non-vegans come, but we're never apologetic or shy away from the V word. You know, um, we embrace it. So. Very, very good. <laughs>
4: thank That's you. great. Now, I, I know there's a lot going on in Chicago. I'm, I'm in touch yes. with uh, Kay Stepkin, who's starting uh, the Museum of Vegetarianism, and I love yeah. how you talk about vegan culture. There really is a culture. So uh, w- what's happening out there in the former hog butcher to the yeah. world? Thank God well, that is no longer.
5: I know. I'm so glad that you asked, because I think a lot of times people have this mindset that if you don't live... On the coasts, um, specifically in New York or California, um, that, that, um, you know, that is, it, is kind of a wasteland. There's so much going on. Chicago is, has a vibrant and dynamic vegan community and, um, and more and more restaurants with vegan options or entire, entire vegan menus are opening all the time. It's, it's, it, 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 you know, it, if veganism can happen here and in other cities that aren't on the coast, it can happen anywhere. And it, it, it is such a, um, an honor to be a part of the Chicago vegan community and the worldwide vegan community. So. Well, you're yeah. an
4: integral That's part that. and we do Thank appreciate you. what you do. So everybody listening, you can find Marla and, and her talented husband, John Besky, yeah. At VeganStreet.com. Now, the, the meme, the almost daily meme, you, you can yes. subscribe to that and get it in your very own mailbox? You know, we don't have that technology yet. Okay. Uh, we
5: probably could one day. <laughs> okay.
4: We're but we're you can somewhere certainly somewhere. go and find it and see it and share it. Yes. It's, it's so democratic and, and so you. internet-like. It used to be people would create something and don't take that from me. Right. But You create these things and say, "Take it,
5: yeah, we want it. We want it disseminated. We just don't we, we we like it if people don't take our names off our name off of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is everywhere now. It's just so much easier to get the word out about things. Um, wonderful, yeah. thank you. Thank well, you. Thank
4: you. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for juggling uh the mom life, the writing life, the activist life and doing such a great job of it. We'll put all your social media, etc., uh on the Main Street Vegan show notes so everybody can just wander down vegan street and have a good old time. Thank you so much,
5: Marla Rose. Thank you, Victoria, and thank you for all that you do. All the best. Bless
4: you. And We have a caller, a very special caller right now. I actually knew this was coming, so it's not like I'm psychic. It's Dr. Thomas Campbell. You know Thomas Campbell. MD. You know his dad, T. Colin Campbell. Dr. Campbell is co-founder and clinical director of the University of Rochester Program for Nutrition in Medicine. He is a board-certified family physician, co-author of The China Study, and author of The Campbell Plan. Hey, Dr. Campbell.
6: Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me on.
4: Well, thanks for taking a couple of minutes out of your incredibly busy doctorly schedule to come and tell us some really cool stuff you have happening up there in upstate New York. What's going on?
6: Right. Well, I'm excited because we have a major academic medical center who has uh, let us start a program under their branding and under their umbrella to use a plant-based diet for prevention and treatment of illness uh, for patients in our system. And we have, um, you know, what might be most interesting, to your listeners, we have a one-week immersion coming up in July, from July 17th to the 24th, and people can come to a beautiful hotel and spa that we've partnered with here in Rochester, New York, on the edge of the Finger Lakes, and uh, they get an individual medical consultation with me at the beginning and end, and my dad will be there for half the week, so lots of education with my dad, uh, T. Colin Campbell and me, and um, some awesome excursions to the Finger Lakes. We'll have dinner at Moosewood Restaurant, which many people know the name of that one, and uh, also partnering with the New York Wine and Culinary Center to do some teaching Uh, Around cooking and actually getting into the teaching kitchen. So we've put together an amazing week, I I, I think, and um, we're really trying to get this idea of plant based nutrition as medicine uh, to to get off the ground and uh, show the decision makers that this this idea has wings, uh, so to speak. Um, So we have a, uh, we're actually doing a a special, uh, (laughs) if you don't mind me plugging this too much, we're actually doing a special. where it's five hundred dollars off if you sign up by the end of March and um, on our website.
4: So, where do people go to sign up?
6: We have a website. It's U R. Uh, the letters U R as in University of Rochester. U R Nutrition In. That's I N nutrition, nutrition Medicine Nutrition Medicine Nutrition
4: Okay, terrific, and I will put that on the Main Street Vegan show notes as well. Gosh, that would be fun. I hope you're going to do another one. I can't do July, but I'd love to come up there and experience the Finger Lakes and all your wisdom.
6: Oh, we hope to to do this regularly if we can get this off the ground. I'm just tremendously excited about having a large academic sort of nonprofit medical center offering this as as a medical option at this point.
4: It's thrilling. Now, I know that you're going to be on the show as a regular full-time guest uh, coming up in the fall, but just just for now, for people who may have missed the Campbell Plan, tell us about the book. It's new well, last year.
6: Yeah, the Campbell Plan came out just uh, almost a year ago now, and that's sort of a how-to follow-up from the China study. And uh, it, it's, it's uh, a lot of the common questions that I've gotten about soy and and, uh, gluten and so forth and some of the science behind those, as well as the standard, um, you know, menu plans and recipes and uh, just kind of an introduction to whole food plant-based diets.
4: Wonderful. So that's The Campbell Plan by Thomas Campbell, MD. You can find that wherever... You buy books, and I'm so happy that you're addressing some of those myths. I mean, today, I had a haircut, and my hairdresser, who knows I'm vegan, but she doesn't really quite know what that means, and she said, oh, yes, we're lo- using this new line. It's cruelty-free, which I was happy to hear. She said, and it's gluten-free. Oh,
6: gosh.
4: I, thought, <laughs> I, I never knew that having gluten on one's hair was a problem for anybody. <laughs>
6: Yeah, one of the, the uh, fastest-growing trends of gluten-free right now is potato chips. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, Gluten-free potato chips. So, uh, you know, wrap your head around that one. I don't, I don't know.
4: Uh, well, just for you, and I know you just have a couple of minutes, but I don't want to miss anything that you might be able to say that would change somebody's life. What to you as a physician is the biggest problem for Americans and Western people? And what's the answer
6: well I think the the biggest problem is our as the unhealthy diet of course it's lifestyle and other factors as well, but it's much more powerful than most people realize and that's related to you know from a, I've been thinking about this a lot and how difficult it is for people to change it's it's related to our social environment and the social social norms that we have and you know there's an awful lot of uh, illness and sickness and um, you know medication use and, and the way we think about treating that is usually through pills and procedures and that social norms is is uh, the, you know the, the sort of big in my mind the big overarching challenge that we face uh, in, in changing this whole system.
4: Mm, that's wonderful and actually that's another great reason for people to come to this wonderful week-long event that you're having. does it have a name? What are we going to call it?
6: Um, it's, we just call it a seven day, you know, uh, health immersion vacation.
4: Okay. Well, this is why the seventh day health immersion vacation isn't going to just give you seven days of health immersion, but it's going to give you a lot of friends, right. people who, who are already doing this or who are starting to do this so that you'll have a, a support group that, that can just go with you for phone and email forever after. And it makes a huge difference. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for all you do.
6: Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity.
4: Oh, absolutely. Well, give my best to your family because I've met most of them and adore all of them. So (laughs) (laughs) looking forward to the next time uh, we cross paths and um, get back to your patients.
6: All right. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. Have a great great show.
4: All the best. Thank you. And speaking of medical doctors. We're going to have on one of your favorites coming up after the break. That's Dr. Michael Greger, nutritionfacts.org, how not to die. And oh my gosh, we're going to have fun. Stay with us.
3: Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health? Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life, It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
4: Hello, people who want to be healthy for a really, really, really long time. We've got a guy for you, Dr. Michael Greger, Director of Public Health and Animal Agriculture for the Humane Society of the United States. He runs the wildly popular research-based public service website, nutritionfacts.org for short daily videos from the contemporary medical literature, but geared to you and your health, and he talks like a real person, and he's way entertaining, <laughs> is New York Times' best-selling book. Yay! I knew you were going to do that, and I'm so glad you did, is How Not to Die, Discover the Foods Scientifically Proven to Prevent and Reverse Disease. Welcome, Dr. Greger.
2: Thank you so much. It's so great to be back. In fact, uh, you know, three months after publication, I'm still on New York Times bestseller list. It's currently at uh, number 12 this week.
4: Whoa, that is so wonderful. Oh, yeah. couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and a nicer Aww. co-author, Gene Stone. You have the wonderful partnership of a real writer's writer in gene stone now you were on back in december when the book was just about to to publish and that episode is in the main street vegan podcast archives but what i want to know michael has anything happened since then or since the book went to press anything really exciting from the literature that we should know about
2: every single day there's something (laughs) new uh that's how that's why there's new videos and articles every day um otherwise uh you know i just fall hopelessly to, uh, behind um some of the practical new things uh that have come out uh i've uh, stopped roasting my nuts um uh, i used to love roasting walnuts in fact in the book i think i say oh making a pesto and i, I give a recipe and say ah oh, toast your walnuts um uh, makes your kitchen smell heavenly but unfortunately increases the level of these so-called glycotoxins advanced glycation end products typically found in uh in uh meat but uh the high fat high protein high heat combination even in plant foods uh produces these compounds so I'm no longer roasting my nuts encouraging people to eat their nuts raw mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you
4: re- remind me of a book by this beautiful woman in Chicago, um, Karen. Oh, Karen Calabrese. The book is called "Soak Your Nuts." Uh, so I guess we'll start doing that instead of roasting.
2: No uh, soaking, though. See, soaking gets no rid of the soaking. phytates. We love our phytates. I mean, in okay, fact, now, one, of re- one of the reasons we were roasting was to get rid of the phytates. That's not why I roasted. I roasted because I like them taste better, and that was a downside. Was I was losing these wonderful anti-cancer phytates, uh, but now I can get the uh, now I can get the phytates and uh, the lack of toxic compounds by eating them raw. But if you soak, I mean that's fine as long as you drink the soaking water. But uh, you don't want to lose those precious phytonutrients. So
4: those phytates prevent cancer but aren't there some phytates that people say are bad because they keep you from absorbing some nutrient
2: that is if you are a puppy in a laboratory i talk in the book about the um these studies done i believe back in the 40s on puppies showing this uh, mineral inhibition of absorption with phytates so they grew they so they had this um uh they, they lived in infamy for decades um it was supported actually by rodent studies subsequent studies and rats found the same effects so they're like all right forget it um but then so they had this bone softening effects because they interfered with the absorption of minerals and puppies um in a lab but it turns out if you st- it, it turns out we're not puppies it's amazing i know um but uh we uh it turns out when you actually study people um it has the opposite effect in that uh that uh, actually uh phytate consumption appears to protect against osteoporosis. You get stronger bones if you eat high phytate foods like uh nuts and whole grains and beans. Um and uh and has all these other wonderful uh anti-cancer effects and so I've got a whole bunch of videos if you type in phytate. That's been one of the big kind of upheavals in the in nutrition literature, it's not really a reversal because we went from no human data to all of a sudden human data, but it's certainly a reversal based on laboratory animal experiments.
4: How fascinating. Uh, the number, if anybody has a question for Dr. Gregor, 816-347-5519. Now, the last time you were on the show we we explained how you set up the book. The first half is the 15 top killers of people in the Western world and, and the things that we can do to prevent some of that. And then you gave a general lifestyle plan with what you called your daily dozen. And we touched on beans and berries, cruciferous vegetables, herbs and spices. But I want to talk about some of the rest of, of your daily dozen. So you've got other fruits and vegetables, in fact, those are two of the Daily Dozen, other fruits, other vegetables, besides the greens and the crucifers and the berries. What are a couple of your favorite fruits and vegetables?
2: Oh, boy, do I, I've got a whole list in the book. In fact, if you go, I now have a free app for iPhone and Android <laughs> called Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen. Um, and so you can download it, and you can just it hopefully, hopefully help inspire you and remind you to get these good, healthy things in your diet. So, um, so wait a second. If greens are the healthiest vegetables, why not just stop there? Why just not eat, uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, kale and another vegetable? Why not eat kale and collards or two greens? Well, it turns out that each. Uh, family of vegetables has different phytonutrients. If you think about it, fruits are just fruits botanically. Um, But vegetables can be any other part of the plant. So there's root vegetables, obviously, like potatoes. There's stem vegetables like celery and rhubarb. There are leafy vegetables like green leafy leaves. There are flower vegetables like cauliflower, broccoli. Um, And so each one contains uh, a whole different set of compounds, even in the same plant. And then when you go to different plant families, there's entirely different things, and we miss out on them if we don't eat them. So, for example, mushrooms, plain white button mushrooms, contain this array of so-called micronutrients, nutrients not found anywhere in the plant kingdom because they're not even plants. So these are compounds just made um, in the mushroom kingdom, um, and if we don't eat them, we don't get them. This, uh, there's a number of things, something ergothionine and antioxidant found nowhere else, and you're going to miss out if you don't eat mushrooms, and uh, the uh, probably the number one reason to add mushrooms to one's diet is to boost one's immune system, um, and so there was a study, finally a clinical study, that uh, randomized children who had asthma, so they were at high risk for uh, bad consequences to an upper respiratory tract infection split them into two groups half ate much half they added mushrooms to their diet the other half continued the regular diet and those with just added plain white button mushrooms the cheapest most conveniently found mushrooms um, significantly improved their chances of avoiding these upper respiratory tract infections which normally for most people is just an annoyance but for kids with asthma it can be uh, uh, cause a serious acute exacerbation so um, so, it's, and again, was this some new drug they found, new supplement, some new pill, something they're charging thousands of dollars for? No, just um, these uh, these, uh, these uh, fruits and vegetables you can find anywhere in any protozoa.
4: Wow. Okay, how about a fruit? You're on the proverbial desert island. There aren't any berries. What's your favorite fruit that you can no,
2: get? No, berries! <laughs> Um, well, well, I mean uh, the mango season just started um, uh, around the world, and so now we're just starting getting the first shipments of uh, Mexican mangoes into uh, north uh, the rest of North America i'm a huge mango fan um, now is that just because I love them so much or do they actually have nutrients to back them up? Well, they are, um, they, do have, they are packed with antioxidants. You can tell that by just opening up and looking at them. Um, you can, uh, I mean, if you want to see if a fruit has an antioxidants in it, you cut it open, expose it to air, expose it to oxygen, and see if it browns, see if it oxidizes. Two most common uh, fruits, apples, bananas, brown right away. But what happens when you cut open a mango? Nothing. Why? Because look at it. You can see the antioxidant pigments in there, the bright yellow, bright orange. Those are uh, carotenoid phytonutrients like beta-carotene. You know, but how do you keep your fruit salad from turning brown? You add lemon juice. Why? Because it has, lemon juice has vitamin C in it, an antioxidant, which can keep your fruit salad from browning. Oxidizing can do the same thing within our body. So eat citrus, eat mangoes, um, and uh, though apple skins, Actually, I have high levels of antioxidants, even though there's not much inside.
4: Mm-hmm. So if it grows, it's probably good, which I'm going to do an aside because I was just rereading uh, your book the other day. I was reading the chapter about Parkinson's disease, which is of interest to me. My father had it. My yeah. aunt had it. And you said that two substances that a lot of people avoid for very good reasons caffeine and, heaven forbid, nicotine, have actually been shown to be preventive in terms of of Parkinson's disease. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, isn't that ironic? Yeah, well, so in the liver, it's not just the the Parkinson's chapter. In the chapters on liver disease and depression and Parkinson's, I discuss the benefits of coffee for the liver, mind, and brain. It is, after all, plant food. Um, Coffee drinkers do tend to live longer, have lower cancer rates by a few percentage points. Uh, But there certainly are people that should avoid coffee. Coffee can worsen, it can exacerbate Acid reflux disease, so if you have heartburn, stay away from coffee. Bone loss, if you're concerned about osteoporosis, stay away from coffee. Glaucoma and urinary incontinence. All those diseases can be worsened by caffeine consumption. Uh, So bottom line, I don't recommend drinking coffee, but not so much because it isn't healthy, but just because every cup of coffee is a lost opportunity to drink something even healthier, a cup of green tea.
4: Yahoo! But how about the nicotine? Now yeah, nobody now, thinks Nic- you're yeah. telling us to smoke. Isn't the- that was-
2: amazing? So it's mm-hmm. funny if you go back to these hearings, uh, starting back in the '50s, the you know the tobacco industry gets up and saying you're given one sided, you're cherry picking the data. Cigarettes are good for you. And What do they do? Is they dredged up all this, all these studies showing smoking prevents. Parkinson's disease. Now, of course, the public health community was not happy with that and has worked for decades to try to upturn those effects, but indeed they've just strengthened them. Um, So we know that smokers are dramatically lower risk of Parkinson's as in like half the risk compared to non-smokers. Now, of course, you'd never want to smoke because it increases your risk for all these other diseases. Even if you just care about your brain, you didn't care about lung cancer, you didn't care about emphysema, you just said, look, I just care about my brain health. You still Wouldn't smoke because smoking is a significant risk factor for stroke. Uh, So, you don't smoke. But, so the reason I even bring it up is because it may be possible to get the benefits of smoking without the risk. And so we think that the active ingredient why smoking is protective against Parkinson's are is nicotine. And nicotine is this chemical that is found in the tobacco plant. And you say, well, wait a second, tobacco plant, that's in the nightshade family. We eat a lot of nightshades like tomatoes, potatoes, bell peppers, eggplants. Is there nicotine in those foods? And it turns out there is. And so they said, wait a second. So do people who eat like more bell peppers and tomatoes, do they actually have lower rates of Parkinson's? And they do. So once they looked into it, Um, they did now of course it only works in people who are non-smokers if you're smokers you see no effect of eating bell peppers which makes sense because i mean the amount of nicotine you get from a cigarette would overwhelm any nicotine you got in your diet but there's so much nicotine in these foods that you get the same nicotine in your body eating healthy food in a non-smoking restaurant than eating unhealthy food in a smoking restaurant just from the secondhand smoke, same level of nicotine. So you get, um, uh, and in this case, it's a good thing. So you get the benefits of the nicotine um, in terms of reduction risk of Parkinson's um, without increasing your risk of all the other horrible things caused by putting smoke in your lungs.
4: Amazing. You guys, if you haven't read How Not to Die, you've just got to read it. You're not going to find this information anyplace else. It is so fascinating. Okay, back to your daily dozen, flax seeds. Grind them up, eat them, how come?
2: Oh, well, uh, we have randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials, so that's basically the highest level of evidence we have in the scientific world, have shown that consumption of just a few spoonfuls of ground flax seeds a day can bring down blood pressures two to three times better than our leading blood pressure medications and only have good side effects, uh, reducing the risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer, con- helping control our cholesterol, triglycerides, and blood sugars, reducing inflammation, curing constipation. I encourage a tablespoon of ground flax seeds every day.
4: Well, you encourage it and I do it. So that's how, how things work around yeah, here.
2: It doesn't work. And like, <laughs> I, could, I could be you know recommending things until I'm blue in the face. Um if people don't actually put it into practice so good for you.
4: And other nuts and seeds, not just flax. What's good about uh, nuts and seeds? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh you know, uh Dr. Walt Willett, the chair of uh of Nutrition at Harvard, has said that, you know, one of the most uh important developments in the field of nutrition over the last few decades was realizing just how healthy nuts are for us, this is from the Adventist studies. And we actually finally had and and the so the question has always been, well, wait a second, maybe people who eat nuts are just Health nuts. I mean, maybe people who eat nuts tend to exercise more or smoke less. Or maybe that's why they're so healthy. Because you look study after study, the more nuts people eat, the the longer they live and better they do. Um, So, But uh, we weren't sure if it was causation or correlation until the PREDIMED study, which is an interventional study where split people, randomized thousands of people over um, a period of years, and sent half of those people nuts in the mail every week. Um, so they, and and instructed them to add nuts to their diet. So they got these freebie nuts and indeed they started eating more nuts. You get free nuts in the mail every week, you eat more nuts. And, um, those that got that. So this is the same group of people, but half got nuts, half didn't. Those that ate just a single small palm full of nuts, just an ounce of nuts a day added to their daily diet, um, uh, cut their risk of having a stroke in half after just a few years. Um, or you could look, you can flip that around and say, "Look, not eating nuts doubles your stroke risk um, so that 's how powerful um, the you know various foods can be, but again, we don 't get those benefits unless we actually eat them.
4: Incredible now, one of your other daily dozen recommendations is controversial out there in the conventional world, and that is when you talk about whole grains. Now, a lot of people hear whole grains and that sounds healthy, but then a lot of other people are thinking grain brain and wheat belly and, oh, my gosh, I cannot touch a grain. Give us the truth from the science.
2: Well the science has always been consistent that whole grains one of the healthiest things we can eat people who eat more whole grains have been shown to live significantly longer and eating them helps reduce the risk of heart disease type 2 diabetes obesity stroke um, uh, and and you know I think one of the one of the barriers people think it takes forever to make you know brown rice or something but now there's pre-cooked brown rice and quinoa and pouches out there. You can just heat it up. Um, uh, and so there's no excuse um, to continue to eat refined grains. Um, and we should encourage, so in the daily dozen, I encourage three servings of whole grains every day. And that's because of these proven benefits. And anyone who says otherwise um, really is just not accurately representing the science which goes back. Um, decades now this remarkable consensus in the uh, scientific community of the healthfulness of whole plant foods including whole grains um, and uh, and uh, you know look you can you can write a book say anything you want but if you know we're talking about life and death decisions when decisions are that important when we're talking about the health of your family then how else can we make decisions but based on the best available balance of evidence
4: Now, With the grains, Dr. Greger, um, be clear with us. You've talked about the kind of grains that you cook, the rice and, and the oats. What about the ones that are whole but they're ground up? So we're talking whole grain bread, whole grain pasta, good, not good?
2: Well, you know, there's a kind of gradation. So definitely, we want a whole. If you're going to eat pasta, if you're going to eat bread, you want to make sure the first ingredient has the word "whole," which actually has a legal definition. It actually, means it has to have um, at least half whole grains, and ideally, there wouldn't be any refined grains um, uh, in the list of the rest of the ingredients. Uh, one thing you can do, uh, if you know, when buying packaged goods like bread, is you look at the nutrition label, make sure that the ratio. Of uh, of uh, grams of carbohydrate to grams of fiber, so the f- the carbohydrate to fiber number should be five or less, and that gives you a sense um, that um, that it's less processed. Now, even in that case, um, uh, you know that's definitely that's that's good. Uh, you know, that's the, we, we've passed the nutrition 101 stage, you know, choosing whole grains. Um, but then the graduate level course, if you really want to improve your diet, is really we want to move towards intact grains. So even when whole wheat is ground up into, into, um, whole wheat flour, it still—you didn't strip any of the, of the nutrition away. It still has all the fiber, still has all the B vitamins, unlike white rice, but excuse me, unlike you know uh, white flour. But um, because it's ground so finely, not only does it give us a, a larger spike in our blood sugars, but it gets completely digested in our small intestine and leaving none left over for our good gut bacteria in our colon. Normally, when we eat whole grains, and they've done these studies where they gave people chickpeas versus hummus, they gave people, uh, you know, uh, wheat berries versus, you know, flour products, they gave people, you know, beans versus, you know, bean dip kind of things, um, and they've gone through, and they found even no matter how well you chew, uh, even if you chew really well, there'll be little chunks of, You know, uh, nuts and seeds and, and, uh, you know, grains left over. And that, you know, only the outside of that is digested in the small intestine. And so it leaves these little caches, these little treasure chests of starch for our good gut bacteria to eat. And that's how we've been eating for millions of years. You know, we always have a little leftover for our gut bacteria. Unfortunately, uh, you know, when we grind it up finely and we absorb, there's so much more surface area. We absorb it all in our small intestine. We are We are essentially starving our microbial self. We're being very stingy, not leaving any for our good gut bacteria. They'll still get the fiber, which we don't digest at all, but they're missing out on that starch. And so we're actually uh, not going to uh, facilitate their growth. And one of the things we're realizing now, there's this revolution in medicine about the microbiome. We're realizing you know, having good gut bacteria is not just about gut health, but actually has wide-ranging implications on our immunity, even perhaps our mental health. Um, so it's important to have our good gut bacteria happy, and to do that, we feed them so they can feed us right back.
4: Mm, yum. Okay, beverages. Now, you, you've mentioned coffee has you know some good things, some not-so-good things. Green tea is amazing. What other beverages do you like?
2: So the other two I would recommend, other than green tea, water, and an herbal tea called hibiscus. Uh tested head-to-head against a leading blood-pressure drug called Pill. Two cups of hibiscus tea once every morning was as effective as the drug without the side effects, um, though uh, it is sour. In fact, it's often called sour tea, um, so I encourage people to rinse their mouth out with water after drinking it so the natural acids just don't uh, hurt your tooth enamel. Uh, And the only caveat with green tea, really, is that if you eat the tea, like you use matcha, which is powdered green tea, or you throw tea leaves in a smoothie or something, I would recommend sticking to Japanese-origin tea, as high levels of lead have been found in tea imported from China.
4: Okay. Well, I have my my bottle of ocha from Japan right now, so I'm feeling…
2: Oh, there you go. Feeling good that, about that. That's an, that's another thing that I've changed. I don't think that made it into the book. In fact, in the book, I probably encourage people to throw green tea leaves into their smoothie. Right? Why make the tea then throw the leaves away? That's like making collard greens and you know drinking the water and throwing the you know then throwing the leaves in the trash. You just lost all that nutrition. So eat tea leaves, which is great, unless they're contaminated with lead. It turns out that China. Uh, didn't get rid of leaded gasoline until the year 2000. And so, unfortunately, the tea plantations, particularly by the roadways, are, um, the soil is contaminated with lead and they suck it up into their leaves. And so, um, that's another thing that have changed since reading the book. So, yes, please, I encourage people to read the book or listen to it. There's digital versions, audio versions. But then, make sure you're subscribed to nutritionfacts.org. Everything's free and you'll get updates on all the things that, uh, you know, weren't, uh, weren't around when the book was published.
4: Wonderful. Now, you include in your daily dozen something that you call a nutrient, which is exercise. And you know, exercise can be so tough for so many people. I actually created a disorder for my last book, The Good Karma Diet. I called it Activity Resistance Disorder, mm-hmm. ARD. I think mm-hmm. it ought to be on that list where doctors get paid for treating it. Because there are, there are times when just getting to the gym, getting your gym shoes on is the hardest thing. Why should we push through that?
2: Look, you can. You don't have to go to the gym at all. You can do like I do. Get a get a treadmill desk. I'm walking as we speak right now. Uh, I walk about 17 miles a day, and that's just because you know I'm just working working so long. It, it doesn't have to be fast. Even moderate exercise like walking um, can significantly improve one's lifespan, lower the risk of chronic disease um and you know so i talk about the book not only about the benefits of exercise but the dangers of inactivity the to sedent- sitting down so if you sit down for hours a day even if you then go out to the gym after work um you still have increased risk of a shortened lifespan because um all that sitting is not good for us it actually impairs our, uh, impairs our arterial function so it's, it's good to move if you can't have a stand-up desk or you're, you know, not moving around during the day otherwise, um, then uh, I encourage people to take frequent breaks. You could do, you know, walking meetings. There's a whole bunch of things you can do to uh, continue to get activity throughout the day. And I recommend a whopping 90 minutes a day of moderate exercise, moderate level uh, intensity exercise.
4: That's whopping. but but, But so are the reasons for doing it.
2: Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, we evolved for millions of years. All we did was move around. Like, I mean, the fact, I mean, so to hear 90 minutes, like what? Just not, I mean, you know, all we did was, and we were built to move. Um, and it's no surprise that our bodies really, um, uh, you know, uh, fail when we don't do that. Um, uh, and look, that's what the science shows. And the science shows that, I mean, even though the current official recommendations are for 22 minutes a day, um, we have science showing 30 is better than 22, 45 is better than 30, an hour is better than 45, and 90 minutes um is better than now, in terms of uh, longevity, in terms of chronic disease risk. And they're just, and so what about more than 90? There n- haven't been any studies. They couldn't find enough people exercising more than 90 minutes a day to actually test them. And so it's possible we'd get even more benefit. We don't know. So, but until we do, I mean, that's the best science is 90 minutes. And so the reason that you don't hear that from, you know, the American College of Sports and Inter- um, you know, Physiologists or, um, you know, the, 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 the CDC is because they want to strike this balance between acceptability and, you know, efficacy. They do the same thing with diet, right? I mean, they say, uh, you know, they, they, do they tell everyone to, you know, eat strictly plant-based? No, they soft pedal the message. Um, in hopes that more people make tiny little changes and will help more people across the, on a population scale. But uh, look, when it comes to something life or death, um, you know, I'd rather them just lay out the science and look, this is the best way to eat. This is the best. This is the best duration of exercise. And then let us make up our own minds um, in terms of what's best for ourselves and our families.
4: Wow. Well. I got my running shoes tied on while you were talking, so all right. you're good. You're good at what you do. Now, just in our last couple of minutes, the first part of your book is about all these diseases that scare people, uh, heart disease, brain diseases like, like Alzheimer's, different kinds of, of cancer, high blood pressure. What is the most surprising to you, Diet Disease Connection?
2: Well, I was really surprised by all the mental health work out there. I mean, I just assumed that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, so killer number 10 in the United States, 10 or 11, is suicidal depression, um, and uh, and I just thought like accidents as a leading killer, that was just one of the few things that we couldn't do anything dietary-wise. I mean we knew that people that ate healthier felt healthier, but uh, you don't know if it's cause or effect. Maybe people who are mentally healthy just go on to eat healthy. I mean who needs comfort foods if you're already comforted? Um, but then came along these University of Arizona researchers that took people uh, eating the standard American diet, removed meat, fish, poultry, eggs out of their diet and saw a significant improvement in mood within just two weeks. Um, and they think it's because they got rid of this arachidonic acid, this inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid found mostly in chicken and eggs that was inflaming people's brains. But we can clear out the inflammation from our brains within a matter of two weeks by cutting down on eggs, chicken, and other meat.
4: Oh, what a great, great thing to end on. I always love it whenever somebody finds reasons for not eating chickens and eggs because I care about the animals. That's really at heart. And then I get good arteries, too. Life is wonderful. So, Dr. Michael Greger, the book is How Not to Die. The website is nutritionfacts.org. And you know what? I have a sense that eating this way may also help with endurance and energy because this is Dr. Greger's 19th interview today.
2: and <laughs> With one more to go.
4: You didn't sound a wee bit weary. Well, on on to number 20 and beyond. Thank you so much for all your wonderful work. Everybody out there, eat your veggies and the rest of the Daily Dozen. And God bless you bunches. Till next time.
1: When your world goes topsy-turvy and turmoil threatens, try this exercise. Think about tranquility. Let the screen of your mind reflect whatever the word tranquility may bring. Perhaps you'll see a majestic snow-covered mountain peak, perhaps a clear still lake or a sparkling stream. Enjoy whatever image comes. It's your thought. Now let yourself find the place of complete stillness deep within you. Here you are poised, serene, and peaceful. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote, At the still point, there the dance is. The dance of life continually shifts its rhythm and form in its attempt to carry you beyond limited ideas of who you are. Enter into the still point of your being. There, regardless of what may surround you, you will find peace. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
0: Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.